the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, a winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Brucott to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website, and now your host for the CU at the Game podcast. With this episode, Brad and I get to discuss CU's revised schedule 3.0. The original schedule, with three non-conference games and nine conference games, was abandoned for a revised schedule in late July. That schedule is to be a 10-game conference-only schedule, but it only lasted a few weeks before the Pac-12 shut down fall camp, with thoughts of playing no earlier than January 2021. The newest schedule is a seven-game conference-only schedule with five intra-division games, one crossover game with the other division, in CU's case, that would be Stanford, and one final crossover game, also against a team from the other division, with opponents to be determined based upon the order of finish. With this episode, Brad and I start with a discussion as to the revised schedule. We will then move on to take a look at the issue of whether the city county of Boulder is even going to let CU have a season, with fall camp set to begin this week. We'll then wrap up this episode talking about how the Pac-12, in starting late, may actually come up smelling like roses when the college football playoff teams are announced. With other conferences, here's looking at you, Big 12, imploding, the Pac-12, with 12 undefeated teams heading into November, may start looking better and better to the committee come selection time. Thanks for tuning in. Here's your latest See What the Game podcast. Okay, welcome to a special edition of the See What the Game podcast because Brad and I actually get to be in the same room when we are recording. So, hello, Brad. Well, hello, Stuart. Welcome to lovely Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Thank you. It's nice to be here. We're, well, Brad lives here, but I'm in town so that we can participate in the Buffs for Life golf tournament tomorrow and hopefully do our best to uh, not finish last. <laughs> that's, that, that is the goal of our team. We are something like the CU football team in 2020. Yeah. We have mm-hmm. similar goals to not finish last. We are playing mostly for pride. Yes. Uh, so this quality of the podcast may not be good in terms of quality of content, but the quality of recording will at least improve over what we've been doing the last couple of podcasts. So... We are going to talk a little bit about Colorado and its future schedule and what we got looking for since we now have revised schedule 3.0. We had a schedule where the Buffs were going to play non-conference games against Colorado State. 
Fresno State and Texas A&M and then played nine conference games, five at home, four on the road. That was switched in July to a 10-game conference-only schedule of five home games and five road games. And now we have a six-game schedule with three home games and three road games, followed by a seventh game, which, if you happen to win your division, would be a championship game for the Pac-12 title. If you're something other than that, you are going to be playing someone other than um, the top team in the other division. So if you have been out and about enjoying fall color or other sports and not paying attention to football, CU's schedule is as follows for the 2020 season. The Buffs open at home, Folsom Field, November 7th against UCLA. The next game is on the road, Palo Alto against Stanford. Buffs return home to play Arizona State on November 21st. Then there will be two road games, November 28th at USC, which would be Thanksgiving weekend, on the road December 5th at Arizona, then return home for a Friday night game against Utah, and that will be Friday, December 11th, with the Pac-12 championship game or a Northern Division opponent the following weekend, December 18th and 19th. So, Brad, first impressions on the revised 3.0 Colorado Fall 2020 schedule. Well, of course, the first impression is we're going to play football, or at least we think we're going to play football, or at least there's a better chance we're going to play football. And that's got to excite everybody. The idea of a spring schedule and what we were going to do and where we're going to be part of the college football playoff picture, that kind of thing, at least that's been resolved. Second of all, this could have been, as you pointed out, so much worse. We get a UCLA team that almost everybody admits is on the ropes. And Carl Durrell against his old school at home to start. We've got a shot against Stanford. Honestly, where we played SC was going to be ugly no matter what. It feels like this is a schedule that a new coaching staff can learn from and make some hay out of. I I tend to agree. I did a an article, an essay last weekend. You can't spell cursed without CU, detailing how tough it's been for Carl Durrell and his first six months as CU head coach. And it almost seemed predestined that the Pac-12 was going to find a way to screw over Colorado when it came to the revised schedule. There was lots of chatter about how the Pac-12 should act like the SEC did and make sure its top teams had the easier go of it and schedule around it so that the Oregons and USC's would have cupcakes. And I'm sorry to say that Colorado was perceived as a cupcake. Um, oh, rightfully so. Rightfully so, based upon all oh, the last decade or so of football. And that was contrary to what the Pac-12 said it was going to do, which was it wanted to remain true to the 2020-2021 schedule as much as possible. In other words, not alter the schedule so much that some teams would end up playing three straight games on the road against the conference opponent in 2019, redo the 2020 schedule, and then have the flipping of schedules in 2021. And lo and behold, that team would be on the road for three straight for the third straight season against the same team. That being said... 
logic held that CU had three home games against intra-division teams. They were on the schedule to play UCLA, Arizona State, and Utah at home. They were on the schedule for 2020 to play Southern Cal and Arizona on the road, which meant, logically, we would have one road game uh, against the Northern Division opponent. And the 2020 schedule, the original 2020 schedule, had us playing at Stanford and at Washington, which left us with two choices. And I was figuring that they put us against Washington, with Washington potentially being one of the teams that you would say is a team that had a chance to win the Pac-12 and give Colorado to the Huskies. But surprisingly enough, we ended up with Stanford. So from a pure buff, black and gold glass version of the world, this schedule is as good as it could be in terms of opponents. And opening at home against UCLA, a 4-8 team last year, then going on the road to play Stanford, another 4-8 team last year, I don't think you could ask for anything more if you are a first-year head coach at the University of Colorado. No, I think you have, you know, opportunities. Chip Kelly's very much on the bubble at UCLA. He was not hired to win four or five games. You know, Stanford, of course, is traditionally strong, but here's the thing. Part of strength in college football comes from consistency. Nick Saban wins every year because he does the same thing every year. That's why successful coaches stay in place for 20-some years. This year, that's not going to work. And so we're going to see if Carl Durrell and a brand-new staff have a certain advantage in that they're not locked into certain routines that they now have to surrender. And so going against Chip Kelly and Stanford, who are trying to adjust their routines, we may have an advantage there. Of course, that's... The flip side of that is that Colorado has yet to have, as we speak here in the first week of October, has yet to have one single practice as a team under Carl Durrell as head coach. My fear, and we'll talk more once we get closer to the actual start of the season, November 7th, uh, about UCLA as an opponent, but you know, watching the first week when BUIU played Navy, and Navy, which won 11 games last year, tried to do everything right in terms of practicing. They didn't tackle. They kept distancing. They did cohorts. They did all the things you're supposed to do against a BYU team that won seven games last year and BYU won 55-3. to Yeah. The fear until we actually see a Carl Durrell team on the field is going to be that there's going to be some disorganization, some lack of preparation, there's going to be problems on third and one, fourth and one. There's going to be time management issues. There's going to be personnel issues where we have 12 people on defense or we have missed assignments and wide open wide receivers that I'm afraid I'm afraid of happening. And until we see this coaching staff actually put a team on the field and produce, I'm going to have that fear. But we were going to have that fear if we had a regular season and we're playing against Colorado State University. You know, that's because that happens every year against Colorado State University or whoever we start out the season with. Yeah, of course, nobody should be foolishly optimistic about this team exploding out of the gate. 
Um, nobody should be foolishly optimistic that, you know, come December, we're going to be 5-0 and and looking to knock off Utah or Arizona for the Pac-12 South. That's probably not who this team is, especially considering as we'll try to figure out, we don't know who the starting quarterback is. But all you can ask in these really strange times is that you get the best shot you can. And that's what we've got. And if this is a learning season, as it likely will be, maybe the wins don't come. But it is better, I think, to play this fall, get six games in, seven games in, than play next spring. I I couldn't agree more. I think it's going to be a learning curve. It is... If there has ever been a year zero for a head coach, this would be it. The idea being that the first year, it's not your players. It's not you haven't had a chance to put in your system and put in your players. So you can't grade a first co- first year head coach on his first year. It's year zero, and then you start looking at what they produce the following year. This six-game, seven-game schedule for Colorado is basically preseason. It's like an NFL preseason. And the hope would be is that Buff fans will accept that, that this coaching staff will do what it can with what it has and largely have the same personnel. There won't be a whole lot. It's a small senior class to start with, and some of those seniors might even come back because you're not losing a year of eligibility by playing this fall. Largely, it's going to be the same team that they're going to get a chance to work with in the spring, fall camp, heading off to playing Northern Colorado. Wow. How about that for knowing something? It's, we open with Northern Colorado next year, folks. So that would be the true year one for Carl Durrell playing Northern Colorado Labor Day weekend of 2021. And then we can start seeing what sort of team we actually have. Coached by Ed McCaffrey and his formerly Valor High School crew moving up to Greeley. It's the most unusual schedule, of course, that we've ever seen. But And the other people, of course, we need to impress are recruits. While the recruiting class for 2021 is about what we expect, I think arguably slightly better than we might have expected. Or at least more better than we might have feared. Certainly. Feared was a good word. Again, Carl Durrell has to get in more talent here. And maybe a year zero where CU shows stuff that people weren't quite expecting can be the kind of thing that gives him more of a head start that a first-year coach often doesn't get. Yeah, and it's certainly not going to be somewhere Rick George is going to grade him on any sort of scale this fall. And so I think if the patience of the fan base is there and the recruits can see that there's something building and that there's something to the future of the University of Colorado because the class of 2022 recruiting class is going to be huge. So, not to make this into a recruiting podcast, because we got other things we want to talk about. And, sorry folks, this is what Brad and I do when we are actually <laughs> sitting in the same room. We go off on tangents. But, recruiting, when you have a season where you can't actually have official visits to Boulder, and actually produce a class that has some talent to it, has filled some needs, filled some spots on the roster that needed filling... Again, year zero, you were going to give a pass to this recruiting class. But getting back to the University of Northern Colorado, how about this for a good segue? Playing them next year, what if the University of Colorado football team has to practice at the University of Northern Colorado? 
Speaking of the issue that fall camp is supposed to start this following week, October 8th and 9th, each team is allowed 25 fall camp practices. So at this point, the fact that CU is not practicing technically does not put CU at a disadvantage. However, since the schedule was renounced, teams were allowed to have 20 hours of practice and CU is not having the 20 hours of practice. So the encouraging signs as far as testing in Boulder County leads one to believe at this point that there is going to be the allowance of practices in Boulder, at least initially, at start of fall camp. That hasn't been announced. That won't be announced until Thursday. We're recording this on Sunday, October 4th. What would you say, both as a fan and as a resident of the state of Colorado, about the University of Colorado, if it can't practice in Boulder, moving everything to northern Colorado or down to Mines and Golden or some other spot. And before I give you the the opportunity, I would point out that the precedent's been set by San Jose State, which is moving 350 miles to Humboldt State in northern California, not northern Colorado, northern California, to run its practices so it can be ready for its first game October 24th. You know, we get... It's easy to make fun of Boulder. I mean, that's part of what we do as CU fans. Boulder is unusual for Colorado. But right now, it's unusual because it has an outbreak. Certainly, you can make an argument about whether or not it's appropriate to take one group of students to a safer place. But taking kids, taking young men out of an area where there's an outbreak and letting them practice under very strict conditions and with frequent testing doesn't necessarily offend me. It depends on where you go and how you do it. More importantly, it depends on what you can trust your players to be when they're not at practice. Are we going to take them up to Greeley and keep them there in a NBA-type bubble? That's a very different thing. If we're busing them to Greeley and bringing them back to Boulder and that kind of thing, those require very different precautions, very different attitudes. We don't know to what extent the football players have been out doing the things that has gotten Boulder shut down. One would hope that they are learning more, but that's not necessarily true. It will come down to, I suspect Boulder will let them practice, but it's going to come down to, can you keep young college men from acting like young college men? (laughs) Well... Could you make the argument that the football team or the athletic department as a whole, those students are the most tested, best protected, whether they are you know living in apartments or living in dorms or whatever, just in terms of being tested, being monitored, being fed, that they are in better position than any other grouping in Boulder County? Certainly the fact that we're doing, and the only reason that this is happening is the technological advance of daily testing. We understand all of that. But we still are talking about a group of 100 plus young men who are in close contact with each other for intense periods of time during the day, and then who then spread out into the broader Boulder community. If an outbreak happens within them, you within the football team, you hope you can shut it down quickly. 
And while other, I mean, we're not learning from nobody here. The SEC is doing this. The Big Ten is doing it, and in some places not so well. By starting later, we hopefully learn from other schools. Well, I hope we don't learn from Ed Ogeron, who can't tell who how many of his players had COVID and doesn't care. Um, I suspect that's not how it's going to work in Boulder. But there is a learning curve here. Other pl- other places are doing it. If we can figure out contract contact tracing, if we can figure out how to practice without being too close, which sounds strange, maybe there's an opportunity here to really do it right. And maybe that's an example for the rest of Boulder. Well, speaking of the rest of the country, another good segue. I love that. Um, <laughs> it's like we set this up. <laughs> yes. That the idea behind playing at all yep. this fall was not for the experience of the student athlete. Yeah. This is not about the joy of competition. This is about money. And of course, that matters. Matters a great deal. It matters more than when the Oregon president, who is the chairman of the CEO group for Back 12, when they announced the schedule for the fall, you know, the revised 3.0 schedule said it is not about money. Whenever they say it's not about money, of course it's about money. They would not be playing six games in freezing temperatures in December if it were not for the money. So, yes, it is all about the money. So then the question becomes, is it just about getting the Pac-12, having a Pac-12 champion that can play in a New Year's Six Bowl? Because that's as far as no one can deny the Pac-12 and New Year's Six Bowl because the contracts say the Pac-12 champion will at least, if not make it to the playoff, at least earn a right to a New Year's Six Bowl, which means you know $4 million for the conference, which... It's about the money. Now, the question has become, as we watch football, as the month of September turns into the month of October, that the Pac-12 may end up looking brilliant in not playing in the sense that particularly the Big 12 has imploded uh, in terms of their favorites. Oklahoma already has two losses. Texas has one loss and should have lost. They had a 15-point deficit against Texas Tech with, what, three minutes to go and then ended up winning in overtime. So they should have two losses. So unless Oklahoma State can run the table, and that might not even impress the college football playoff committee anyway, the assumed spot in the Final Four for the Big 12 is probably not going to happen. That doesn't mean there won't be two SEC teams or perhaps two Big 10 teams if Ohio State and Penn State both play very well, and there's only one loss between them come the end of their season. But the chances of a 7-0 Pac-12 team actually making the college football playoff has been enhanced by the simple fact of not playing. The ranked teams are 18 ranked teams in action last weekend, and their combined record was 10-8. and That's not good if you are looking for your conference champion to have a berth in the college football playoff. So the Pac-12, which has been mocked mercilessly, and with good reason most of the time, may end up looking brilliant if they can produce a 7-0 Pac-12 champion and get into the college football playoff. What say you to the 
the chances of that happening? Well, first of all, there's no margin for error. SC cannot have a game canceled because of COVID. Oregon cannot lose a game where they play poorly. For the Pac-12 to be in the championship game, it almost feels like two 6-0 teams have to play in the championship because there's just no other room for error. That said, that probably was always going to be true for the Pac-12 if they were going to play in the fall. Yeah, 11-1 and one Oregon would, would be the best far south as you could go mm-hmm. with a, a losing one game somewhere along the way to an Arizona State or something like that and still have a hope of making the playoff, yes. So uh, the margin for error has been dim significantly, but it is still there. And you can make an argument, if you're in the Big 12, that playing early, going along with the SEC, has cost them any chance. I don't know why Oklahoma can't play football all of a sudden. I'm certainly not sad that Texas can't play football all of a sudden, but that goes back to ancient grudges. Um, <laughs> you mean the, the bikini bar in Austin that it, we went to, I, <laughs> you to, be a, to be a Texas fan? So it can, it certainly didn't hurt. And it certainly, like I said, even starting a week after the Big Ten gives us, gives the Pac-12 a chance to continue to learn about how to do this right and how to make it look good. And somebody's going to play in a Big Six Bowl. And that, can't not matter in this COVID era of gutted athletic department budgets. Yeah. And Rick George said this week that he was looking at a 10 to $18 million deficit, and that's just ticket sales. Normally, the budget is around 20 to $22 million for ticket sales. That includes all ticket sales. That would also include men's basketball, things like that. But that's a pretty big hit when you got a 90 some million dollar budget to say, okay, well, you know, the first 20% is not there. And 30 some million, about a third of the budgets from television contracts. And half of that is not going to be there. I don't know. We haven't heard exactly how the deals have been struck for the television contracts. We know that the PAC 12 networks, and this is not necessarily a bad thing, is not showing any games the first six weeks of the schedule, which means all of the games that Colorado is going to play is either going to be on the ESPN family of networks or the Fox family of networks, which is good for those of us that have to watch the games at home because, oh, wait for it, that's all of us since there are no fans going to the games. We're all going to have to watch it on television, and those of you that have trouble getting Pac-12 networks won't have to worry about that for the first six weeks because... Pac-12 Networks, which has furloughed virtually the entire staff, uh, is not going to be showing any games until the seventh week when they're playing the twos against the twos and the threes against the threes. And there's just too much volume that weekend that I think that's why the Pac-12 Networks is going to end up showing some of those games. And the Pac-12 Network appears to be down to Jim in the archive room. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Picking games at random to play. And, you know, we're going to have to talk long-term about if this is the end of the Pac-12 network. We're going to have to talk about, at some point, we're going to have a really interesting discussion about which bowl games are going to get played and which ones are not. So there's at least two that have already been canceled, Hawaii and the Bahamas Bowl or something like that, which yeah. makes perfect sense to cancel those. But. No, there's there's going to be a winnowing of the, uh, 
of the lesser bowls, certainly. Those places survive on having people drive down to them in the ways that just isn't going to happen by January 1st. I'm sorry, whatever your belief is about the virus. Yeah, uh, and I can't see the Sun Bowl getting super excited about a 4-3 and three Arizona State team playing a 6-4 and four North Carolina team or something along those lines that I think saturation will definitely hit because we're not having a gap between the end of the regular season season and the bowl season. You know, the championship games are being played December 19th and the college football playoff games are uh, January 1st or, you know, New Year's weekend. So if you're playing a bunch of minor bowls, they're going to be coming either Christmas weekend, which ain't going to happen, mm-hmm. or they're going to be coming after the college football playoff when nobody cares. And it's going to be, you know, those of us who have been college football fans for a few decades now, that December after the conference championships, but before the major bowl games get started, yes, we were thrilled with the pool and weed eater bowl if we were in it. But not a lot of us were sitting down and gargling down 25 bowl games in December waiting for the real ones to start. So it will be, I mean, we have a condensed season. It will be, I hope, more interesting and more exciting. I think we all probably expect the football to not be as good. There's just no way, particularly for younger teams, newer coaching staffs to have their teams ready in this period of time in such a way that we're going to see top-level football, except perhaps from Alabama and Clemson and, you know, professional football teams that are attached to universities. (laughs) (laughs) He's not cynical, folks. He's just like this. (laughs) And I'm not wrong. You're not wrong. So we're going to let that be the, the final word. We are in the upcoming weeks. Actually, we are going to start very soon as soon as fall camp starts, which is next weekend, hopefully talking about the positions and the unit-by-unit previews. And then once we get closer to November 7th, we're going to start talking about actual football. And we're going to start breaking down opponents and talking about CU's chances about actual football games. So for now, we're going to get ready to participate in the Buffs for Life Golf Tournament. If you're are not aware of the organization. It's Buffs for Life with the number four, buffsforlife.org. And certainly it is worthy of your time and your dollars. And if you want to take a look at that, please check out their website. And I will be back with Brad in the very, very near future to talk more football. Thank you, sir. We are talking football. Thank you for listening to this episode, our 14th of this, our first season. Please subscribe to See You at the Game wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and other hosting sites all have the See You at the Game podcast available for you to download and listen to at your convenience. With CU season set to begin November 7th, we will spend the next few episodes doing a unit-by-unit preview of the CU lineup, with particular attention being paid to position battles, which are to play out as the buffs. Finally get to take to the practice fields under first-year head coach Carl Durrell. I look forward to talking with you throughout the upcoming season. As always, your comments and suggestions are much appreciated. Until next time, stay well and stay safe. 
Go Buffs. Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, at thegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.